Our scripture today comes from the second chapter of Acts. You can find it in the Pew Bible on page 886. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to other to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Ms. Marlene. So I wanted to begin our teaching time this morning with something that's kind of cool and a little bit awkward. But since I've been a pastor here for two years, I know you are used to awkward, so hallelujah. Um, I was doing some research this week and discovered that Ebenezer is now the largest United Methodist Church in the state of Virginia. It's pretty cool, right? Now, it's not a competition, right? It's not a competition. We want all churches to be successful. We want all churches to be fruitful. But it's kind of cool to know that. And and so I, I, I love that. And, and, of course, the glory for that goes to one place and one place alone. That goes, it goes to Jesus. I, I hit the lottery by coming here, and I, I, love, I love being here. So that's part of it. Here's the other part. I'm 40 years old now. I know. I look much, much older than that. And you might say to yourself, well, you're, a little, you're a little portly there, Pastor. Maybe you drop a few pounds, you look younger. But even when I'm skinny, I look old. In fact, Andy and I once went to get our hair cut together. And uh, it was ten years ago. We went to this little strip mall haircut place. She went to get a, an inch cut off of her hair. Which, just let me talk about that for a second. Getting an inch cut off of your hair, I don't understand that. Uh, and then here's the other thing, guys, I feel like it sets us up for failure because we're never going to recognize they got a haircut if they got an inch cut off their hair. Amen, guys, right? That's not going to happen. So at any rate, she got an inch cut off her hair. 
And the same lady who cut her hair, I sat down in the seat, she started to cut my hair, and she looked in the mirror at me, and then she looked at Andy. And then she looked at me, and she looked at Andy, and she said, wow, she is beautiful. I said, yes, she is. And she said, is that? I said, yeah. She said, your daughter? I said, no. No, 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 it's not my daughter. (laughs) So I know I look older than 40, but I'm only 40. And right now, by God's grace, happen to be the senior pastor of the largest United Methodist Church in Virginia. And here's the point. I love being here, but I don't necessarily feel any more fulfilled as the pastor of the senior pastor of the largest United Methodist Church in Virginia than I did when I was the senior pastor of the second largest church in Roanoke three years ago. I don't feel less fulfilled either. I just don't feel more fulfilled. Here's the point. I feel like sometimes we will tell ourselves this narrative. We know it's not true, but we'll tell ourselves the story. That if we just get to that next place in our career, if, if we're working in a place and we become a vice president, if we're vice president, we become president, if we're president, we become CEO, if we became CEO and then finally got to be chairperson, that all of a sudden we'd be fulfilled. I don't think that's true. When we moved here a couple years ago, Andy and I bought a house and we love our house. It's a great house. We put it in a swimming pool in the backyard and my kids are in it all the time. We love that house, but I don't necessarily feel any more fulfilled as a person because we've got a nicer house. I drive a six-year-old Ford Expedition. It's the only car I've ever driven in my life. When I got in, I didn't feel like this. I love it. It's got enough room for the giant. It's a great car, but I don't really feel more fulfilled because I have that car. Our jobs don't make us more fulfilled. Our houses aren't going to make us more fulfilled. Our cars aren't going to make us more fulfilled. There's one thing in this world that makes us feel more fulfilled. Loving and being loved. That's it. And you might say, well, what about service? The heart of true service is love. What about kids? A couple things about kids. One, if we're unhappy before we have kids, we're likely to be unhappy people with kids after we have kids. But the heart of kids is love. Brothers and sisters, there is one thing that builds fulfillment in our lives. Loving and being loved. And so today... We are concluding a sermon series called Three Simple Rules, and we're talking about love. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, was not a notoriously gifted preacher. He didn't didn't shake the foundations with his words. He was actually a relatively cantankerous guy by all accounts. But today, around the world, a hundred million people can trace their spiritual lineage back to the life and ministry of John Wesley. Why? Because he made faith simple. Not easy, but simple. He taught his people three simple rules. First, do no harm. A couple weeks ago we talked about doing no harm with our lips and with our influence. 
Second, he said, do all the good you can. Last week, Pastor Mark talked to us about doing all the good we can as good neighbors. Seeing a need, getting involved until the end, about relentlessly pursuing doing good. Do all, do no harm, do all the good you can. And the third of his simple rules was this. Stay in love with God. And I wonder, I wonder how our love for God is maturing. This week, I was, I was reading in my devotional reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It just happened to be my devotional reading for the day. It's a chapter that many of us are familiar with. It's a, a wonderful chapter. If you're going to memorize a chapter in the Bible, that's a great chapter to memorize. In it, Paul begins by talking about the importance of love, the centrality of love, the reality that if we don't have love, we've got nothing. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm but a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. He says, if I've got the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and knowledges, if I've got the faith to, to move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. He said, if I give everything that I have to the poor, if I surrender my very body to the flames, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And after he talks about the importance, the centrality of love for our lives, he moves on to say this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. He speaks in this poetic language, trying to describe that which is indescribable. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love hopes all things and believes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. Prophecies, they will stop. Tongues will be stilled, but love never fails. And I continued reading this passage, and, and I got to a point that I thought, have always thought, didn't really fit in the passage. Paul says this. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child, and I acted like a child. When I became a man... I put my childish ways behind me. And I've always thought that that was out of place in this passage. But as so often happens when we read the Bible, even if we've read something a hundred times before, the hundred and first time, God can show us something new. And what God showed me this week was that when Paul was talking about being a child and growing to adulthood in the context of this conversation around love, what he was telling us is that our love needs to be growing up. Our love needs to be maturing. And I wonder if our love for God is maturing. In some respects, our love for God follows a similar pattern to the love we have for our parents. Think about it. When we're little, we love our parents because of what they give us. They gave us life. They gave us milk. They gave us toys. They they gave us love. We love them because of the things that they had given us. But over time, we start to love our parents differently. We don't stop loving them because of the sacrifices they made when we were children. Our love simply matures for them. I love my dad in part today because I watched him growing up work really hard. And he gave that gift to me, that desire to work hard in this world. I love him because of who he is, not just because of what he did for me. 
I love my mother, not just because of the sacrifices she made when I was a kid. I love her because throughout my life I have watched this woman sacrificially love other people. Over time, my love for my parents has matured, and I think that same process occurs in our spiritual development. Early on in our faith, we love God because of what God has done for us. God created us. God sent Jesus Christ to redeem us and to set us free. It's amazing, and we never stop loving God for those things. But I hope that our love for God will mature to the point that we love God not just because of what God has done for us, but we love God because God is love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. To mature in our love for God means we don't just love God for what God has done for us. It also means that we love God for who God is. And that really brings us to two important questions. The first is this. How do I grow more in love with God? And of course the second is, why? Why is it important that we should grow more in love with God? So let's start with the how. How do we grow more in love with God? Well, this is the part of the sermon that's relatively predictable. You can probably see this coming. Because falling more and more in love with God is not rocket science. It simply requires some effort on our behalf. A couple of things that we need to do if we want to fall in love with God are first, we need to be reading our Bibles. I love the fact that people come here to worship. I love the fact that generally speaking, people feel like this is an uplifting experience. But brothers and sisters, if this is the only time throughout the course of the week that my soul is being nourished, I'm going to live a pretty anemic life of faith. And if I want to think of myself as a deeply committed follower of Jesus Christ, but I am not regularly engaged in a diet of scripture reading, I think I need to reassess whether or not I am in fact a deeply committed follower of Jesus. And listen, I know reading the Bible, the Bible's intimidating. It can be scary. That's a big book. That's part of the reason that, that we have created a, a Bible reading plan here at Ebenezer Church. For those of you who are on campus with us, it's available at the connection desk if you want to pick one up as you leave. If you're joining us online, the online host just put a link to that document in, in the chat room. I hope you'll check it out. If, if we want to have growth in our love for God, if we want our love for God to mature, one of the things we need to do is engage in a daily diet of Scripture. A second thing we need to do is to engage in prayer. And I know that there are some people in this room who could put on a clinic about how we should be prayer warriors. Praise the Lord. But there are also probably a fair number of people in this room who don't quite know how to do that. How do we pray? And to those folks, I just want to, I just want to offer two, two pieces of, of, of two nuggets of, of wisdom here. First, start slow with prayer. Uh, I did a funeral yesterday for a guy who spent about three hours a day reading his Bible and praying. That's fantastic. But don't try that at first. I recently started jogging again, or it's it's what I call jogging. I'm not sure it fits the real definition of jogging. And here's what I know. I know that even though I used to jog quite a bit when I was a kid, I need to build those muscles back up. The same is true with prayer. So start slow, five minutes a day. Read one chapter of the Bible and then pray for five minutes a day. And the second piece of advice is to follow a process. I want to give you a token prayer this morning. And the token is T-C-N, token. Thanksgiving. 
God, thank you for everything that you've done in my life. Thank you for all you've given me. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my job. We could go on and on about this. Amen? Because we are a blessed people. Thanksgiving. Second is confession. God, I'm, I'm really struggling with this sin. I, I, I'm, I'm maintaining this grudge against this person. Please, please forgive me. And step three is need. God, please be with my kids as they begin the summer. Please be with my spouse as they navigate this new job opportunity. Whatever our needs are, we share those with God. Thanksgiving, confession, need. And one final thing I want to say about prayer. Early on in my spiritual development, I thought that my job in prayer was just to talk over and over and more and more to God. And I realized in time that if I would just be quiet, which is hard for an extrovert, but if I would just be quiet that there would be some things that God wants to say to me. So I want to challenge you to read the Bible one chapter a day. Spend five minutes a day in prayer, thanksgiving, confession, needs, and then to listen, to hear what the creator of the universe has to say to you. If we want to fall more in love with God, that's how we start. And then we pepper in things like coming to worship and joining with our small groups, journaling, fellowship. Did you know fellowship is a spiritual discipline? These are the ways we grow in love with God. I love the way Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, you will bear much fruit. Though apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we grow in love with God? We work at it. Which brings us to the second question. Why? Why is this so important? Why is falling more and more in love with God so critical? Well, here's the answer. It's why we started the sermon the way that we did. It's the only way we're going to find fulfillment in our lives. That's it. Fulfillment doesn't come through promotions or salaries or houses or cars comes from love. And God is the source of all love. God invented love. If we want to find greater fulfillment, we need to grow in love. And God is love. One final piece about growing in love with God in the midst of this conversation. Sometimes I will go home to where my parents live in East Tennessee and while I'm there, we'll have dinner. And after dinner, I find myself doing something I didn't do enough as a child. After dinner, I will get up and help with the dishes or take out the trash. I find myself, as I've matured in love for my, my parents, I find myself helping them to accomplish the work of the household. And that is where the idea of Pentecost comes into today. Because today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the birthday of the church. And on Pentecost, God began to treat people not as infants, but as mature members of the household by enlisting us and partnering with us to do the work of God's house. The redemption of the world. Acts is a fascinating book. The story of Pentecost takes place in Acts. It's a fascinating book. But you know what's something that's so interesting to me about Acts is that in the book of Acts, the main character isn't Peter. The main character isn't Paul. The main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, it's been said that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels according to the life of Jesus, that Acts is the Gospel according to the Holy Spirit. And there's something that's really predictable, almost a formula of sorts. In, in the book of Acts, what we find is that when, when God shows up, when the Holy Spirit is truly unleashed, is when people are sharing the faith with others. And what that tells us is, if we want the power of God to be unleashed in our lives, we have to be vulnerable enough to share with other people what God has been doing for us and in us and through us. When I was in eighth grade, I uh, was at recess, and I actually had gone into the library to read my Bible it wasn't because I was lazy. I had basketball practice that afternoon, and I was still hanging on to hopes that I, I would be drafted in the NBA eventually, which didn't, didn't work out for me. Um, so I'm in the library, and I'm reading my Bible. I'd just, I'd just become a Christian the summer before. And I was really passionate about my faith. I would read my Bible every day, and I'd, I'd, sometimes I'd even go into my closet for my prayer time so I wouldn't get disturbed I'm sitting at this table in the library and I feel the Holy Spirit nudge me because there are two of my classmates sitting at the table next to me. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to go talk to them. And so I did. And by the time the recess bell rang for recess to be over, both of those young men had accepted Christ as their Savior. I was in eighth grade. I was not a theological prodigy, but I didn't need to be. What I needed to be willing to do was to allow God to use me to help do the work of the house. And when I was willing to let God use me to do the work of God's house, God's power was unleashed. Not because I was great, but because God is. Maturing in our love for God means that we partner with God to do the work of God's holy house. On Pentecost and all throughout Acts, God's power is unleashed when the apostles committed to do the work of sharing the gospel. And God's power is unleashed in us when we commit to doing the work of sharing the gospel with our neighbors. I want to challenge you to test me on this. Go and tell somebody about what God has been doing in your life. I'm not saying go read the Bible to somebody or or recite it to them. I'm talking about being vulnerable enough to say to them, Hey, I was hurting I found myself in a hole and God showed up and changed everything. And I think God wants to show up for you too. Do that. And watch what happens. Love God enough to do the work of the house. Share the story of what you've seen God do and watch what happens. That's what the apostles did on Pentecost. And the world has never been the same. They left a legacy. That's what Reverend Montgomery has done here among us. He's been vulnerable enough to tell us about his successes and even more importantly his failures. And he leaves a legacy. I wonder, will we? Three simple rules. Do no harm. Do all the good you can and stay in love with God. 
That is the formula for a life that is fulfilling. It's the formula for a life that brings glory to Christ. Do no harm. Do all the good you can and stay in love with God. That is the formula for how we leave a legacy. Would you pray with me? Holy One, we thank you because you're the one who invented love. You gave love to us. Every morsel of love in this world, love between spouses, love for children, love amongst friends, all love comes from you. And if we want to truly experience fulfillment, oh God, it must come through growing in love for you and those around us. So forgive us for the times that we have believed that we would find fulfillment in anything else. And help us this day be recommitted to the work of love. First, of loving you, the source of all love, so that we could share that love with the world. Help us to do no harm. Help us to do all the good we can. And help us to stay in love with you. That we might leave a legacy. Which brings glory to your name. And blesses those who come after us. In the name and to the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord we pray. And all of God's people said. Amen.